0: Today is May 2nd, 2021. Welcome to Common Ground. The sermon series we are in is called Stories of Resurrection. This sermon is called Faithful Vandals, and the speaker is John Carlos Arce. Enjoy. Thank you for having me uh, this morning. And I can talk about the garden maybe in the uh, coffee afterwards. And I can show before and after picture. I'm very proud of what has been happening there. Um, I would like to share, as was read uh, on Luke five uh, verses seventeen through twenty six. Um, so I'm just going to get started, roll with it, and then hope to really have a conversation afterwards. And like I said, I'm I'm so grateful to be here. Uh, it only took uh, Chris uh, what a year and a half to invite me, um, but. Uh, I'm really grateful to be here this morning. <laughs> uh, let us um, dive into the word today. <clears throat> the word on Jesus is out. Jesus heals has become a trending topic at all the local markets and waterholes, and a crowd is starting to gather. Jesus finds himself surrounded by Pharisees, senators, teachers of the law, students of the Holy Scriptures, CEOs, and other men of influence. Heck, even pastors with bestsellers took time off from the touring circuit to come hear what Jesus of Nazareth, Son of Mary, has to say. Scribes from, Jesus, from Jerusalem to New York want to hear from this man, who with a tinge of a foreign accent subtly reveals his birth and upbringing are unlike that of those who have gathered. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, was forced out of Nazareth and into Galilee, where he has attracted power brokers, influencers, the powerful movers and shakers, people who sit on the board of directors at MoMA. Whether it's a genuine curiosity or a sense of threat, they cannot stay away. They cannot resist. They're mesmerized and have come to listen, to discover the secret by which Jesus heals. They have come to confirm his authenticity, but they—they are also ready to claim copyright infringement, unlawfulness, and arrest Jesus for disrupting their peace if his words and deeds begin to erode their congregation's membership, their consumer base, their institutional values, and revenue streams. On this day. The regional leaders have converged on Galilee rather than Davos. And the question lingering over the churning waters of Galilee is who truly has power? As if to set this record straight before peeling back the curtains on the story that is about to unfold, Luke tells us that the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Indeed, it is Jesus who has power after all this is a one john the baptist anticipated in his own reading from the book of isaiah and who when baptized by john in the jordan river was anointed by the spirit of the lord and power descended upon him proclaiming a decisive yes this is he the beloved son whose mission is to bring healing as part of his ministry of release The lingering question has been settled. Jesus has power. But who has access? Who is worthy enough? Who is ordinary or normative enough? Who is white enough? Who can fit the mold in order to access power? Is it available equally to all? And how should power be administered? This is the injustice the paralytic man and his friends awaken us to a crowd of systemic exclusion, systems of oppression that, while invisible, are ever present in our lives, to name a few, which I think this community knows very well, is colonialism, a political occupation of someone else's land in order to economically exploit it and its original occupants. As a Puerto Rican, I've been on the receiving end of this, and as a settler in Tongva land, I perpetuate it. Then there's white supremacy, the belief that white people are superior and therefore entitled to dominate other people groups or patriarchy, a system where men hold power and are favored. And then there's capitalism, an economic and political system that is built to ultimately benefit and profit a very small percentage of people, which, as you probably guessed, are mostly white men. as these definitions suggest, no one really seems to be responsible for running these systems, and yet we're all implicated. We might say, I'm, I'm just one person. What can, what can I do? Yet like the crowds in this passage, which were just there to hear Jesus, we gather in specific spaces with like-minded friends with similar fashion and consumer taste creating crowds of gentrification, walls of marginalization, and barriers to restoration. Labradoodles, pour-overs, and boat shoes do not bode well for poor neighborhoods. Our collective actions, as innocent as they may seem, ultimately hold exclusionary power. But the crippled man and his friends understood what it means to overcome the daily obstacles imposed by unkept sidewalks, broken elevators at the subway station, and an overall negligence towards their non-normative bodies. The crowd prejudice, racism, unjust laws, restrictive policies, and police brutality say there is no room at the inn for you. But the paralytic man, undocumented workers, queer people, Black Lives Matter, and Mary shouted louder there is always room for revolutionary love. So considering the costs, the friends proceeded to engage in defacing private property. The imagery in the scene is so powerful. The friends engage in tangible actions to ensure their friends' healing. Likewise, you and I might be faced with difficult decisions requiring extraordinary actions, if we are to participate in the good news, in God's liberating power. The paralytic friends, like looters grabbing necessities from exploitive merchants, remove the tiles of oppression in order to find themselves face-to-face with liberation. And you know what I love about this passage? It's that Jesus doesn't say anything about these dudes breaking Some random person's roof. There's no comment on it. uh, Because private property buildings, they're not people. They're not human. They're objects. And people aren't objects. I like what R. H. Loston says. Plate glass windows don't bleed. They don't die and leave loved ones grieving. They just break. And then at some point, they're replaced by identical sheets of glass. Broken windows and burnt cars are simply not commensurate with the violence of state-sanctioned murder or the structural violence poverty places on people of color and whom are at a disproportionate risk of dying, end quote. Jesus legitimizes their vandalism when his response is not to call them out for the broken tiles, but to see their faith. Jesus knew that the glass ceiling needed to break And so seeing their collective faith and the extraordinary actions they had taken to overcome the obstacles embodied by the crowd and building, seeing that these unruly, property-breaking men knew that he was not just the son of Joseph, but the son of God, the Messiah through whom liberation for the poor and the oppressed of the earth would come, Jesus proclaimed, friend, your sins have been forgiven you denoting that the man's sins had been forgiven by God, then asserting that Jesus is authorized by God to announce forgiveness. As promised in Jesus' inaugural address in Luke 4, Jesus offers this poor man release from the clinches of physical and social marginalization. The crowd has witnessed the love of neighbor and the love of God embracing a dance of forgiveness and inclusion. Indeed, it is direct action and faith that is needed to resist that policies that seek to divide and exclude people based on sexual orientation, ethnicity, religion, and gender. We must faithfully resist all forms, all forms of hierarchical domination. Some will try to derail our faith, our participation in Christ's acts of liberation. They'll promise us salvation in some distant afterlife. They'll try to distract us by inviting us to talk, to participate in reforming the system. They'll promote us. They'll promise us a good job, a better life. But the paralytic man and his friends, but like the paralytic man and his friends, we must organize and act. Sorry, give me a second. My son just walked out and... All right. He'll come back in eventually. (laughs) They didn't sign up. These men, they didn't sign up to take a turn to speak at city hall or expect their Senator would bring about the change they needed. They broke through the crowd and crashed in on the party in order to see, receive what Jesus of Nazareth could give them liberation It is this example and so many others we're seeing today led by indigenous people, black people, Palestinians, by the marginalized and oppressed that are calling out those who profess faith in Jesus to stop acting as if Christ's death and resurrection and the spirit received at Pentecost were not sure signs of God's moving in the now. Sadly, it is in faithless steeples where the word of God is used to victim blame and uphold toxic masculinity, that the paralytic man and his friends find their greatest opposition. These eschatological swindlers of hopelessness, promoters of prayer without action, lack faith. They might love God, but they ignore love of neighbor and prolong oppression. The scribes and the Pharisees, sensing Jesus intruding on their conservative interpretations, conclude that Jesus's actions have trespassed on divine authority. So they move to delegitimize the divine messenger by questioning, who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Where did he get his PhD and his credentials? Is, he, is his clothing appropriate? Who is this who pardons criminals? Who can offer reparations but God? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Is it not only God who can forgive? Of course. Therefore, to say that we cannot forgive, that we cannot make amends for the way marginalized people have been hurt, to excuse our inaction is to say that Christ is still in the tomb, that Christ did not rise. We can forgive, we can make amends and reparations, but Christ, because Christ is in our midst today. Pharisees, lawyers, and board members are quick to defend the status quo and claim that there is no possible solution. Capitalism is all we've got. We just need to tweak it a little bit. Drastic change would surely result in chaos, they say. reputations, salaries, privilege, and earthly power are at stake. Yet Jesus' competence as a prophet anticipates white guilt creeping in the hardening of hearts towards those who are most in need of liberation when he says, Why do you raise such questions in your heart? Thus, Jesus fulfills Simon's prophecy to Mary in Luke 2. This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. Truly, the world's inner thoughts are being revealed to us today hatred xenophobia homophobia transphobia fatphobia love of money and fear of the other are bubbling to the surface like a geyser ripping through the scar tissue of a wound we considered healed doubt fear of losing control confidence in pure doctrine and attentiveness to position demand that divine authority and the oppressed prove themselves and that they follow the established rules and protocols. So we relinquish our agency, throw our hands up in the air in despair and say, we're unable to imagine a way forward. We have been domesticated and institutionalized. Our imagination has been truncated. So we fall to our knees demanding signs that might confirm that what we already know, what has already taken place, We live as if the liberator is still to come. But let us be cautious of letting guilt overrun us. The Pharisees and teachers were right to be full of suspicion, too. Are Jesus' words not the same empty promises prior false prophets had promised them? Fraudulent offers that left their wives raped and their children dead? Each of us carries a bag full of crushed dreams, unfulfilled promises a load of student debt, and a healthy fear of non-capitalistic economic models. But let us also be cautious to not allow apathy to swoon us into the celestial clouds of inaction. Because ultimately, questioning, numbness, bitterness, and inaction result in negating the son of man's power and authority to rise above crowds, skeptics, and death. We serve a living Christ. The son of man does not require approval or a permit from the local authorities. He is endorsed by the God of Israel. Jesus' authority to forgive sins exists before the eschaton, while life on the earth still goes on. Therefore, Jesus announces a man's sins are forgiven, but demonstrating God's love for her creation and understanding our weaknesses in believing, Jesus decides to do more. He said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Word and deed come together to bring complete completion. Sorry, word and deed come together to bring to completion the healing of the crippled man and legitimize Jesus' status as a one who forgives sins. The unruly group of friends has witnessed to the crowd what faith looks like. We can see how each one of us by ourselves are like the crippled man who no matter how much faith he had, couldn't all by himself get to where Jesus was. It is when a group of friends, when coalitions come together, when people are filled with faith, it is then that we are able to free ourselves from the fists of oppression, from the systems that value our worth based on our productivity. As Asata Shakur has told us, it is our duty to fight for freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. So let us be bold enough to deface private property if it means the liberation Jesus inaugurated is finally materialized for the oppressed and those on the margins. The group... Of friends can now celebrate the manner in which the Messiah has restored their friend to his network of relations and responsibility. And so the man goes away, glorifying God, proclaiming that God had sent the Messiah, the liberator God had promised is here. Jesus' work has overcome the double obstacle. Both the crowd and the scribes and Pharisees were unable to derail Christ's mission to release the captives. It is in, this, in the reality of the one who was and is victorious over sin that we are invited to build bonds of friendship with those who make a life for themselves on the margins. Friendship with those that society has discarded. Friendship with the ones who many ch- churches deny communion. Friendship with disabled people. Friendship with the rejected. So let us foster intimate friendships, friendships that through faith in the liberator move you to imagine a different world, one where exploitation, hierarchy, and domination cease to exist. Because when we are bold enough to stop cooperating with those who exploit us and those who police the exploitation, others will join us in the symphony of awe and wonder that the work of Jesus makes possible as we all become witnesses to strange things. Amen. Thank you. And thank you all for the reflections, the comments. Um, As many of you um, shared, I think I grew up reading this passage really focusing simply on the sort of individualistic healing of the man and celebrating, you know, the hurrah, he was healed. And seeing the Pharisees, uh, perhaps always as the bad men in the story, which I also want, and I hope I made a point to not overly state that uh, point, because they also had reasons uh, for doubting, and they had reasons to fear. And um, I think that today we have to in a fair way, acknowledge that while not allowing that to be the only narrative of those who immediately question the looters. But often, uh, we also um, have those fears, and we have to be honest about them and and share them openly. Uh, But um, as I read this passage, um, I think, and my hope was to really focus on what prevented uh, the men from getting to Jesus and Acknowledging, I think, as Chris also mentioned, those barriers, obstacles as what kept them from uh, receiving the forgiveness of sins. And I do think the healing and forgiveness of sins here is really important because it really does entail uh, beyond like the individual, uh, relational, communal uh, re-inclusion of the man. Uh, And what God and Jesus is pointing out is that these people who are gathered have in some way perpetuated uh, the ills and the, and the pain and the suffering, uh, that the man is suffering. And so the forgiveness of sins and restoration needed to happen as a sign of how that collective, um, bonding needed to exist. Um, in terms of the the crowds and the buildings. And as I, I shared, I think trying to make analogies, I do want to bring one specific to New York, um, As uh, I don't know if some of you have heard of Strike MoMA, Um, it's a movement that is uh, doing that, striking the Museum of uh, Modern Art in uh, New York. And I bring it as a specific, I think, um, example of naming a place that represents these systems. And so if you go to StrikeMOMA.org, you will see um, the reasons why they're striking and why MoMA represents as a place that occupies indigenous uh, land and that is run by billionaires who many um, have stocks and who contribute uh, financially to policing uh, organizations. To um, immigration centers and incarceration, um, are in some way um, laundering their money and their influence with the facade of the arts and of this beautiful place um, in order to save face. Um, And so, just as a cause, as an example, of how maybe this story unfolds um, in in your city. Uh, You can have a specific place uh, in the Museum of Modern Art and the cause that is happening there of how we might act in order to resist, to call out and to work for a different future. Um, And so that's my invitation. And I hope that as you all together here, and maybe this will be my benediction, as you all together uh, continue to gather, to share your fears, your sufferings, your pains, and heal collectively. May those bonds of your friendship and of the recognition of the liberator who has come and has set us free to be who the divine has created us to be, however we are, and when we come freely. Um, May you work together or a different future to imagine a different future and collectively reap the beauty and the blessings that come from working towards that different future.